Hello and welcome to the Hearts Handle Sports Podcast. This is episode number 84. My name is Ismael San Juan. Thank you so much for being here. We have a lot to talk about that championship games have concluded over this past weekend. We're going to have the Bengals against the Rams in the Super Bowl. The Bengals pull off the upset against the Chiefs. The Rams come back against the Niners. Finally get that monkey off the bag after losing six straight to them. All that is going to be some great stuff to talk about. We're going to get into that. But before we can talk about that, two breaking news happened on Monday. Tom Brady retired. The GOAT, his career is over after Adam Schefter kind of broke the news a little early. Tom Brady was kind of trying to deny it, trying to say that it wasn't true. He's retiring. He's done after, what, 22 years in the NFL. The GOAT is retiring. Got to give it up for Tom Brady. And Brian Flores suing the NFL for discriminatory practices for you know having racial prejudice in the hiring of coaches we got to get into that and also got to talk about Nadal getting his 21st Grand Slam at the Australian Open and Kyrgios and Kokonakis winning the doubles at the Grand Slam that was one of the surprises of the Australian Open all of that on this episode of the Hearts Handle Sports Podcast let's get started first of all i just want to congratulate tom brady on a great career amazing career it's undoubtedly he's the best football player to ever play at least quarterback some people might say jerry rice is the the best player to ever play you can have that debate but undoubtedly tom brady is the best quarterback of all time in my opinion he's the best player of all time and what a career man honestly i thought this man was never going to retire when Adam Schefter reported that he was retiring early, I, I was one of those people that were like, damn, if he was thinking about retiring, if, if this was going to be um, Tom Brady's time to hang it up, Adam Schefter and others reporting that he was retiring early, that might be something that Tom Brady uses to fuel him, to incentivize him to come back, just to prove people wrong, just to add another chip to the many chips he already has on his shoulder and I was like, okay, I could definitely see, like, if he, if he was already going to retire, like, I could see him coming back just just to, in spite, just in spite, just because he didn't get to announce his retirement the way he wanted to. So I, I was like, I was kind of hopeful to see Tom Brady, especially because the NFC quarterbacks aren't that great right now. Uh, most of them are in the AFC, so to have Tom Brady add a little parody, add a little, you know, excitement to the NFC, it would help. A lot of people were saying he was going to stay with the Buccaneers or he was going to go with the 49ers. Both of those, in my opinion, sounded like a great idea. I would I would have welcomed both of them. But he did announce on Instagram, I think it was like a six-page slide that said that was it. He was calling it a day. And I did think it was funny that he thanked everyone from the Buccaneers. He thanked a lot of people, but he there was no mention of Bill Belichick. There was no mention of the Patriots. And that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. They were saying, like, how could you have 20 years with the Patriots and not mention them in your retirement, in your retirement, um, whatever you want to call it. It wasn't a speech because you didn't talk in your in your retirement post. But I think he's still a little salty. Uh, it makes sense. He's still a little salty that they didn't keep him, that they didn't give him the contract he wanted, that they didn't provide the weapons that he wanted. But, you know, it is what it is. He did give him a nice uh, message once he left them. So I think they'll be all right. And then afterwards, he did quote, some of the Patriots stuff and said, you know, thank you for the good times or something along those lines. So I think everything's cool. Uh, uh, a lot of people were calling him weak for being spiteful and for, you know, not being not being the bigger man. But honestly, I, I had no problem with it. And if, if I do say so, I think um, this Tom Brady that we, we got to see with the Buccaneers, this Tom Brady that, you know, is being a little spiteful towards the Patriots. I think that's helped me come around to becoming a... Uh, I wouldn't say a Tom Brady fan, but, you know, someone that actually, like, super respects him and appreciates what he did. Uh, I, myself, was probably a little spiteful towards Tom Brady, as I would imagine a lot of AFC teams, a lot of fans of AFC teams would be towards Tom Brady with uh, the dominance, with the stranglehold, with the gatekeeping that he had of Super Bowls, of Super Bowl appearance in the AFC like, basically, if you wanted to go to the Super Bowl in the AFC, you had to meet Tom Brady in the AFC, somewhere along the road, somewhere along the road in the playoffs or, or in the AFC championship game. Um, you knew that the Patriots and Tom Brady were going to be there. 
And most of the time, Tom Brady won. Most of the time, the Patriots were representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. So I think it's natural for, you know, a young kid, a young pup like myself growing up, being a Chargers fan, um, to have a little spite to him, to feel resentment, to be like, damn, if it wasn't for this guy, if it wasn't for McCree dropping an interception, fumbling an interception, Chargers could have maybe had an appearance, maybe even had a ring. Um, I don't like you, Tom Brady. So, you know, that's where that sentiment comes from. I think it's natural. I think there's other fans, fan bases that, you know, probably felt the same way. Didn't really like the guy. Didn't really like the Patriots. And once Tom Brady left to the Buccaneers, it was like, all right, you know, you're not part of the Patriots. You're not part of that team that, you know, ruined our childhoods or, you know, adulthoods or whatever. Um, So, yeah, I think it, it was funny that he did that to the Patriots. I think it showed a human side of Tom Brady. You know, he's a little spiteful. He still hasn't gotten over it. He probably still has a little bit of beef with the Patriots. And I think that's cool. That's fine. And uh, But, yeah, overall, Tom Brady, what a guy. What a guy, man. Seven rings, ten Super Bowl appearances. Um, but there's nothing more. Most passing yards ever, most touchdowns ever, more playoff yards ever, more playoff touchdowns ever, more super, most Super Bowl wins, most Super Bowl appearances like, there's, there's nothing else to be said about Tom Brady. You've heard it all before. I don't need to come up here and say, list every every Tom Brady accomplishment. Because if I did, you know, we could be here all day. We could be here all day. I just wanted to, you know, give my two cents, show my appreciation for Tom Brady, give give that man respect, and uh, acknowledge that the NFL that we knew growing up, I'm 27 years old now, the NFL that we knew growing up, it's pretty much over. You know, all the 2004 draft class quarterbacks, they're pretty much gone. 2001, 2000, you know, Drew Brees, Brady's gone. I believe he was the 2000 class. That's it, man. Our our childhood is getting towards its end. There's not a lot of players left. There's some there's some kickers still chugging along, but for the most part, all the players that we grew up with, their careers are over. Tom Brady, the one that looked like he was going to go forever, is calling it. And I think uh, good for him, man. He has he's done a lot for the game. He's been uh, the contrarian. He's been the common enemy number one for a lot of years. But I think, I think every sport needs uh, a bad guy per se or someone to root against. Um, if I could just wrap it back to to something that I experienced a couple of weeks ago when I went to a Sharks game. I mean, I'm by no means like a big Sharks fan. They're just a local team. They're in San Jose, and uh, I was trying to get some chance going for the Sharks. I was trying to, you know, get the get the atmosphere going, and no one was joining me. I was like, come on, let's go Sharks, let's go Sharks. No one was joining me, so I got kind of frustrated that no one was joining me. So I started rooting for the other team. I started rooting for the Rangers, who were in town, uh, just to, you know, being a little spiteful that no one was joining my let's go Shark chants. And as soon as I started chanting for the Rangers, my section starts chanting, let's go Sharks, let's go Sharks. And I was just dumbfounded. I was like, why couldn't you guys join me when I was doing the Let's Go Sharks chant? Like, it could have been so much better if we're all just doing the Let's Go Sharks chants. But then I realized that, you know, sometimes you need a contrarian. Sometimes you need an uh, opposition to really get you going and to really, like, fully embrace supporting your team. That's I was like, whoa. And I think Tom Brady played that role to perfection his whole career. He, he was great, and you always... You felt like you rooted more for your team when you were playing against the Patriots and Tom Brady. So, you know, just something I wanted to say. Tom Brady, you're the GOAT, man. I hope you enjoy retirement. And if you want to pull a Favre and come back, I think, I mean, you were an MVP finalist this year. You led the league in touchdowns and yards, I believe. So if anyone could do it, you could do it. I'm I'm pretty sure you could play another two, three years still. You've taken great care of your body. That TB12 is amazing. But I've rambled for enough time. Tom Brady, I just hope you enjoy your retirement. And I appreciate and respect the great career you had in the NFL. Brian Flores is suing the NFL. He filed a lawsuit on Monday saying that, you know, the NFL doesn't treat everyone fairly, doesn't practice fair hiring processes. And uh, it was a bombshell. It, it caught everyone by attention. Tom Brady had just announced his retirement. Everyone was talking about Tom Brady. Everyone was talking about, like, damn, that, that's it. Like, Adam Schefter was right. He was retiring. He was retiring. People were talking about he didn't mention the Patriots. You know, there was a lot of 
commotion going on with Tom Brady, and then Brian Flores and his lawyers dropped this bombshell, and it was just, it was just like, wow, that's insane. Like this is really happening. And uh, I mean, we all kind of, I don't think no one was shocked. Um, that some, no one was shocked by the accusations. Like we could pretty much see it. It's in, it's in broad daylight. Like how many white head coaches there is. The fact that there's like 75, 80% black players, but there's only one black coach currently hired in the NFL. That's, you know, that's not, that's not by chance. That's not just a coincidence that, that doesn't just happen out of nothing. That's definitely premeditated. That's definitely, you know, white owners wanting to hire people that look like them, people that, you know, think like them, people that they believe, you know, share the same values as them. Some, there's some, some prejudice definitely going there um but for brian flores to actually you know take the initiative to get lawyers file a lawsuit risk his career i think that's what caught everyone by surprise it was like you know it's basically like david versus goliath the nfl being like a multi-billion dollar company with the best lawyers uh best defense best attorneys best everything you know it seems like a impossible task to go up against the nfl just one coach um hopefully more coaches um help on there's been some coaches that have already talked i don't know if they've helped the case or made it worse but brian flores you know he risked his career he even acknowledged himself when he when he let out a statement he basically said that he knows that he by doing this he's probably risking his career that you know he loves and He's worked his whole life for, but he need, something needs to be done or else nothing's going to change. And he's right, man. He's right. Like We've seen it time and time again how white head coaches get numerous opportunities. They could stink it up. They could suck. And they'll get a second chance. They'll get another year. They'll get you know multiple years to prove that they could turn it around. Whereas the black coach, the minority coach, they just, you know, one season and you're done. We saw it with the Texans this year. Uh, I think most people were actually surprised that the Texans were that competitive, that they actually, you know, didn't always look like just mediocrity on the, on the, um, on the football field. And their coach still got fired, man. Still got fired. wasn't given a wasn't given a second opportunity. I think David Cooley, he, you know, he waited his whole career, he waited his whole life for this opportunity. And, you know, I don't think, honestly, from my personal opinion, I don't think he uh, put out like a terrible, terrible display on the field with everything that happened with uh, Watson and all the commotion with the Texans to be 4-13. Um, you know, to uh, people were raving about the Lions, how they fought for Campbell and how they had some close games. And I believe they finished like, two wins in one tie and like 14 losses David Coley did better with the Texans and, and I would argue that the Texans had a worse situation um so you know there's just discrepancies that we've all seen in the NFL uh, it's nothing new I, I think what people and myself were shocked with was that someone like really just said you know what fuck it I, I don't care if I get blackballed like Colin Kaepernick did I don't care if, you know, I barely got my first head coaching opportunity three years ago. <clears throat> I, like, I got to I gotta expose. I got to speak out. I got to be, you know, be the name that we'll remember. So hopefully for Brian Flores, it goes well. It goes good. Um, but if I'm being honest, I, I just think it's going to be hard. Like I said, the NFL is a billion-dollar company. I do think some change will happen out of this, but I just don't know if he's going to win the lawsuit. Uh nevertheless it doesn't change the fact that he put this to the forefront and everyone's talking about it and yeah these hiring practices are going to be even more scrutinized as we go forward the Rooney rule who, who which is laughable um is going to might you know do away with it they might you know enhance it they might actually you know force some teams to actually show some representation and hire some black head coaches i don't know something has to change I don't know if he's going to necessarily win the lawsuit. I fear that he is going to get blackballed and he's never going to have another head coaching job in the NFL. Uh, he might have to go to the college ranks and, you know, duke it out right there. But respect. I tip my hat for Brian Flores and I wish him well. And it's just crazy that, you know, I had to come to this. 
um bill belichick i think this all started or like the the trigger the thing that set it off was bill belichick texting him pretend thinking that he was brian dayball instead of brian flores and congratulating him for getting the giants job and flores i think initially he kind of took it well he was like oh you know thank you bill belichick for the good wishes or whatever and then uh, the more bill belichick tested texted the more you know brian flores was like all right this was not talking about me i still haven't i still haven't even had my interview with the giants like this was definitely uh miss texting me and, and he was like hey coach do you think it's you are you texting brian dayball or brian flores this is brian flores and he was like, oh, shit, I texted the wrong person. And, you know, I think that's what set it off. I think that must have been humiliating for Brian Flores. It it, it, it could have been, you know, just a, a punch in the gut. So I hope it goes well for him. I hope it goes well. Um, I don't think, like I said, and I keep harping, I don't think anyone was really surprised at the accusations. You could just look at the numbers. One, blackhead coach. Out of 27, out of, um, there's still some openings right now. That's why it's like 27, 28. But there's, there's no way. 75% of the players are black and all the coaches are white. Like it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. There's something there. Now, is Brian Flores going to have enough proof? Is he going to be able to prove that the Dolphins were trying to pay him to lose games? You know, are more coaches going to hop on this, put their name on the lawsuit? We'll see. It's going to get hot. It's going to get spicy. It's going to, honestly, this might steal the headlines. All of all of these two Super Bowl weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. But it's just crazy. And, you know, we got to stay on top of it. And I'll probably make another video of something else happens, if more breaking news or anything like that. But I, I tip my hat to Brian Flores. The Bengals beat the Chiefs 27-24 in one of the upsets of the year. A lot of people thought that it was a foregone conclusion that the Chiefs were going to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. Once they defeated the Bills in last weekend's um, AFC Divisional Games, everyone thought like that was, that was the AFC Championship. That should have been the AFC Championship. You know, good for the Bengals for beating the Titans. You know, good job. Um, you know, it was like a consolation prize. Everyone knew that whoever won the Chiefs, everyone assumed that whoever won the Chiefs versus Bill game, you know, that's going to be the winner. That's going to be whoever wins the Bengals and Titans game. They're going to represent the AUC in the Super Bowl. And it looked that way at the beginning. Not going to lie. The Kansas City Chiefs scored in their first three possessions, took a 21 to three lead before the Bengals finally put one together to end the half, scored the touchdown. That was crucial. That was, that was very, very important looking back to make it a 24-10 to 10 game. If the Bengals wouldn't have done anything, even if they would have just gotten a field goal 21-6 at halftime, that's demoralizing. That's, you know, that really hurts your chances. You're like, okay, like we only got six points this whole half. Like we can't even score a touchdown. We can't get no, tutties, no tutties. Like, come on, man. It's, it's bad. They were able to get the touchdown, cut it to 21-10. to 10. And you're like, okay, there's still enough time for the Chiefs to go down the field to, to you know, get a field goal, make it 21-24, I mean 24-10, or maybe even score a touchdown 28-10. That would really kill the Bengals, um, you know, heart. They'll snatch their heart out if they score a touchdown, if they match the touchdown that they just got uh, with, like, under two minutes left. And the Chiefs drove down the field, man. They took it all the way down to, to the three-yard line, I believe, of the Bengals, used their timeouts, had a couple seconds left, and you're like, okay, they're going to have one last shot at the end zone. If they don't get it, kick a field goal, go into halftime 24-10, two-touchdown lead going into halftime. Not a bad day. But Patrick Mahomes unexplicably throws it to Tyreek Hill, who's still three yards away from the end zone and has to you know, get through like three defenders He's not strong enough to do that. He gets knocked down like at the two or the one yard line. Kansas City has no more timeouts. Time runs out. And that's it, man. Kansas City, who had just drove down the field and, you know, it was in position to get that touchdown back that they had just given up to the Bengals. They get nothing. It was demoralizing for the Chiefs in two ways. They gave up a touchdown after only allowing three points the whole half. And instead of getting points, any type of points at the end of the half, they leave it all on the field and get nothing. 
So I think that was like a big momentum boost to the Bengals. I think it was a big momentum boost to their defense. I think that's when it folded for the Bengals. It's like, you know what? We can hunker down and, and get it done. I think it, that was probably the turning point. Um, that did something to Patrick Mahomes, too. I think he became a little more tentative. I think he wasn't the same in the second half. And you saw it. The Chiefs couldn't get anything done in the second half. Like, it was just ugly. It was a bunch of third and longs. They couldn't get anything done on first and second down. They were forced into third and longs. Uh, Patrick Mahomes never looked comfortable. He never got in a rhythm the second half. And it looked bad. They they basically scored zero points in the, in the second half. And the Bengals, it's not like the Bengals were firing on all cylinders, if I do say so myself. Uh, I think their first two, three drives themselves, they, they were just punting. It became like a little punting fest at the beginning of the second half. And then eventually the Bengals got going. Patrick Mahomes threw an interception. Bengals got a touchdown. Got another field goal. <clears throat> Two-point conversion. Got another field goal. Got another field goal to take the lead. 27-24. And you're like, oh, my God. they're gonna, Are they going to blanket the Chiefs? In the second half, like the Chiefs are really going to score zero points in the second half. But it looked like they kind of woke up a little bit at the end. The Chiefs drive down. They're, they're, you know, in striking distance. They're in the red zone. It looks like they could score the touchdown, the game-winning touchdown. And you're like, you know what? This is this is kind of like vintage Chiefs of last season, leaving it to the end, not really getting it done. And then at the end, they come and, and they beat you. But Patrick Mahomes tried to do the same play he did in the first half where he's running around, turning his back to the field, just trying to, like, you know, reverse direction, be all shifty. It didn't work this time. He fumbled the ball, <clears throat> and it could have cost the Chiefs a game. Fortunately, one of his linemen gets on it, and they're able to go for the game-tying field goal. Buckner hits it, even though Patrick Mahomes made it extra harder for him because he lost, like, 30 yards on that play. They go to overtime. The Chiefs win the toss. And you're thinking, all right, this is it. Even Josh Allen texted or tweeted pain. He put pain. And everyone was like, yep, this is it. Chiefs, Chiefs are going to go drive down, score a touchdown. That's it. But the Chiefs, like like the whole second half, couldn't get anything done on first and second down. Third and long, Mahomes goes deep, tip pass. Bengals get the ball. And you're like, they just need a field goal. They just need a field goal, and they got it. McPherson, rookie rookie kicker, what a beast. He's about to go for Venetary's record in the Super Bowl. Gets it done, sends the Bengals to the Super Bowl. Crazy pandemonium. Couldn't believe it. And it just goes to show how hard it was for Brady to win seven. Like, dude, the Chiefs, who people thought were going to be a dynasty, man. They were talking about themselves, a dynasty, dynasty. We're going, we're running it back. We're bringing everybody back. Man, Kelsey is like 32, 33 now. Tyreek Hill, he's getting up there in age too. And he, you know, as soon as he loses a step, he might not be the same wide receiver, elite wide receiver, but he does rely a lot on his speed. Patrick Mahomes, when he won his first Super Bowl, what, two years ago, um, there was no Justin Herbert. There was no Joey Burrow in the NFL. Um, a lot of these quarterbacks, they were still not the quarterbacks that they are right now. And you're like, okay, now there's Joey Burrow. Now there's Herbert. You know, Lamar Jackson's still doing his thing. We'll see how he bounces back next year. Like, there's competition, man. There's competition. Um, and, like, it, it just looks like what happened to that Chiefs, what happened to that Chiefs dynasty that everyone was talking about. Like, all right, they lost to the AFC Championship to the Patriots. They won it the next year against Jimmy G. Then they lost to the Buccaneers. And now they lose to Joey Burrow, who's in his second year, who's a year younger than Patrick Mahomes, who's only going to get better, who has Jamar Chase, who's like 21, who has all these other weapons. Mixon's 25 still. Um, you know, they still got all these guys. Their tight end got hurt. So I hope he's well. I'm sad for him, but they're young, man. And this Josh Allen is now like, an elite quarterback, like when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, Josh Allen was still like, you know, is, is he the guy? Like, can he not turn the ball over? Is, is he, is he going to improve his accuracy? And then, boom, Bills trade for um, Stephon Diggs. Herbert gets drafted. Burrow gets drafted. And you're like, whoa, it's a gauntlet right now getting through the AFC. The Chiefs, 
uh, who are, you know, I think Vegas still right now has them as, you know, the favorites for next year. That could change. We still got to go through a whole offseason and see what happens. But the AFC is a gauntlet, man. The AFC is a gauntlet. The Chiefs, uh, dude, it's it's looking rough. I'm not saying they're not going to win another Super Bowl. They're not going to get back. Patrick Mahomes is still, in my opinion, the best quarterback in the NFL. But man, does does that that dynasty does not look like it's gonna happen? Like the Bengals are there. Like I said, all these quarterbacks in the AFC that are, they're only gonna get better. They're still young as fuck. We'll see if the 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 Jaguars could ever do anything with Lawrence. But dude, the AFC is tough. That Chiefs dynasty looks like it's dying. Like it's never gonna happen. And the Bengals, man surprising everyone shout out to joey b having the dopest fits out there playing cool as ever shout out to the bengals defense for stepping it up in the second half really shutting down the, the chiefs uh shout out to that defensive coordinator for you know dropping eight most of the time in the second half i think a next gen stance pointed it out they were like the chiefs dropped i mean the bengals dropped eight men into coverage like 50 more than 60 percent i think in the second half and I think that was the difference for the Chiefs, for Mahomes, like 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 it had been at the beginning of the season. Just drop a lot of people into coverage. Don't give him anything. Don't let him go long. Don't let him go deep. And you'll have a chance. And it, it came back again this, this week or this past weekend. And just shout out to the Bengals, man. They're really going to the Super Bowl. It's crazy. They don't have an indoor facility. But they're going to the Super Bowl after many years of having Marvin Lewis consistently bringing them to the playoffs but never never having really any expectations maybe the Bengal fans did but the outside public never really believed in them Andy Dalton and AJ Green two probably Cincinnati Bengal legends never could get it done but now they get not only do they get their first playoff win in like 50 plus years or whatever it was and then then they get another one and now they got another one they're in the Super Bowl they could really win this whole thing Cinderella story congratulations to the Bengals and you know Bounce back year next year for the Chiefs. We'll see if they're able to do it. But in the other championship game, the LA Rams defeat the San Francisco 49ers 20 to 17. They will be in the Super Bowl. They will play home in the Super Bowl in beautiful SoFi Stadium. Congratulations to the LA Rams. Congratulations to OBJ. I think that's the person I'm the happiest about for the Super Bowl. Um, he had a lot of slack from Brown fans, from the media, from Baker. Mayfield stands. They were trying to blame everything on OBJ. They were trying to call him Wash. They were saying that he's he's bad for the locker room. They were saying that uh, Baker Mayfield played better without him, that there's no pressure to get the ball to him. And in my opinion, I always knew that Baker Mayfield was just mediocre. He wasn't the guy. He wasn't, you know, he's not the man. He's not a franchise quarterback. He has his moments, but come on, man. OBJ is OBJ, and he showed up over 100 yards in the NFC Championship game. You know, did his thing. And then he showed a lot of maturity. He showed a lot of, you know, being a veteran wide receiver, going over to Debo, who was just distraught after the loss, who was just bawling his eyes out, who was, you know, understandably so, he was super sad. He basically carried the 49ers to the Super Bowl. Um, <clears throat> not the Super Bowl, I'm sorry, to the to the NFC Championship game. Um, that, that touchdown he had. Um, basically getting all the yards, inflating Garoppolo's stats, making Garoppolo's stats look better than they actually are, taking a little boba screen and taking it to the house. Debo Samuel is a monster. He's a, he's he's amazing. I'm excited to see what he does with his NFL career. Like, breakout year this year, you know, showed everyone what he could do, running, catching, all this stuff. But he was balling. He was distraught after the game. OBJ goes over and, you know, pats him on the back, gives him some kind words, lets him know it's going to be okay. I think that showed a lot of leadership. It showed it showed the type of player that OBJ has matured into. So I'm very happy for OBJ. Happy for Stafford. You know he got out. He got out from the Lions. Now he's in the Super Bowl. And it it was just it was another good game. 49ers looked like they had it. 17 uh, to seven to start the fourth quarter. Um, it, the Rams weren't really getting anything. And they couldn't run the ball. The the 49ers were just choking everything up in the middle. Uh, the Rams could never establish the run. And then, you know, Stafford did his thing. He should have thrown an interception. Um, Tart, he, he had it. He dropped it. That's probably the that's probably the turning point in the game. Um, 
and and you know you got to take your chances or else you're not going to go to the Super Bowl. 49ers had the Super Bowl in their hands, had the interception. That was literally the ticket, the ticket to the Super Bowl. That was that was the ticket to the Super Bowl and he dropped it and you know unfortunately for unfortunate for him, he he went to social media and expressed his his uh his feelings and how sorry he was to Niner, uh, Niner Nation. But man, uh, at the end of the day, I think it came down to Jimmy Garoppolo not being able to score anything in the fourth quarter. He, he scored a he scored a touchdown on that pass. I'll give him credit the touchdown to um, the touchdown the touchdown to Debo. That was all Debo. Gotta give gotta give uh, Debo the credit for taking a little bubble screen and taking it to the house. The touchdown to Kittle that was a good throw. Kittle ran a good good route. He was he was pretty open, but it was still a nicely paced ball. I gotta give Jimmy credit for that. But in the fourth quarter, when they needed just like a field goal, a field goal would have wrapped the game up. It would they would have put him out of reach. Um, he couldn't get anything done. Um, obviously, it's not Jimmy G's fault that the defense didn't uh, get that interception. That would have been game over. But like I think I tweeted it during the game. Uh, the two the two drives, the worst drive. Um, before I mean he had the interception on the last drive and that was pretty bad they couldn't get anything going, but before that, when they just needed like a, a, like a couple first downs to run the clock out to really put the pressure on the Rams, they gave the ball to Jimmy G three straight times. They didn't run it at all. They let Jimmy G throw three straight times, and it was like the ugliest series ever. It should have been a pick six by Jalen Ramsey, but he couldn't he couldn't come up with it. And then the other plays were just ugly. I don't. I don't exactly remember what the other two plays were. I just remember the the dropped interception by Ramsey that possibly could have been a pick six, with Jimmy G rolling to the right. And and I, I don't know how he didn't see him. They showed the camera angle from behind Jimmy G, and he's sitting on that the whole time. And he still throws it, and I don't know how he throws that, how he pulls that when he doesn't have you know like a cannon of an arm to think that he could squeeze it in there. And the other two plays, I just know they were they were bad plays. Like he was about to get sacked, he might have thrown one away or hit it at the dirt. I forgot what it was, but I just know that drive was terrible. And that's when the Rams, you know, took the lead, put it twenty to seventeen. And then after that, you just need him, you just need him to drive you down the field for a field goal, give you a chance for some overtime. And you know, there's nothing. You just you just get generates nothing. Once the defense knows that you're gonna throw, it, like it, he just gives you nothing, and it was kind of sad. It, it was kind of you show you could see how limited Jimmy G is. The interception itself, it wasn't the worst play per se. Like he had to, he had to get the ball out of his hands. They were in a third and thirteen, I believe. Um, so you know, there's no way you could take a sack right there. So I don't necessarily blame him for that. But the fact that you you got negative three yards on first and second down when you need to drive the ball down the field for the game tying touchdown or field goal, like it just goes to show how limited a Jimmy G was. But in the end of the day, you know the Rams make the Super Bowl. The Niners are going home. We'll see uh, where Jimmy G goes because this is definitely his last season with the Forty ers I know fans were just completely they're done with him they're done with jimmy g and he needs to go somewhere else we get hopefully we get to see the real jimmy g and like if the 49ers were limiting him or if you know he's even worse than he played with them we'll see what team he goes to and if they're able to give him you know weapons and it's time for trey area and for the rams they get to host the super bowl um against the jaguar against the Bengals. so we'll see how that goes it's gonna be a great match i'm excited for it um my first, my first thoughts for the Super Bowl. I would probably say that uh, I think the Rams are going to win. Uh, that might change as we get closer to the Super Bowl. But first thoughts, I think the Rams should be favorites. They are playing at home, so I think that helps. But I do think the Rams right now, as as of right now, as of this recording, I think I'm leaning towards the Rams. Nick Kyrgios and Tanasis Kokonakis are Grand Slam champions. They defeat. Porcelli and Ebden in the final seven five six four. They are Australian Open doubles champions, and you know I'm very happy for Nick Kyrgios. I think Nick Kyrgios, 
I could see why he rubs some people, some tennis purists the wrong way. But I could also 100% see how, you know, my generation, you know, and the, and the people in their 20s, maybe early 30s, and people that enjoy multiple sports, not just tennis, I could see how they're drawn towards Kyrgios. A lot of people are like, man, that's a lot of whining. He, You know, he showboats too much. Uh, he's not good for the sport of tennis. Well, maybe you have those ways because, you know, you have tunnel vision. All you watch is tennis. You know, you're a tennis purist, as they say. But if you're like myself or others that enjoy other sports, you know, I enjoy soccer, basketball, football, you know, all that stuff. I, I'm used to seeing, you know, NFL players celebrating. I, I was there when the NFL banned celebration and, and we call it the, the NFL the no fun league, you know. Even right now, they they do a lot of stuff with the uniforms that you can't do. The no fun league, the no fun league. People want to like, they like seeing players express themselves. And, uh, you, you know, you see soccer, there's there's people that there's celebrations, there's group celebrations, you know, there's people that are a little more, <clears throat> you know, they showboat a little bit, they do stepovers, they really like, you know, toy with the opposition. I'm talking Neymar, you know, I'm talking Robinho back in the day that really, you know, <clears throat> maybe there's a more efficient way to get past the defender, but you got to, you know, do a little showboating, you got to do a little moves to entertain the crowd they're entertainers basketball you know Steph Curry Kyrie Irving dribbling the ball doing all this stuff there's people that get in people's faces you know there's there's a lot of stuff that we see and it's entertaining man everyone plays a role everyone plays a role you know there obviously there's the main stars that you know blue collar say the right stuff you know they're always gonna give it to you like how you want to hear it and then there's people that play the other roles the you know the the enforcer or, you know, the crowd, the, get the crowd going, you know, try to get the other opponent, you know, off his game, trying to disrupt his mindset. There's all these other players. There's multiple players that play different roles in a team and, and other sports. And I think because tennis is so singular, you think everyone should just be, you know, that blue collar, like, I'm just here to play tennis. I'm just here to, you know, shake everyone's hand. I'm just here to show no emotion. I'm here to say sorry, like, after the ball hits the net. I'm here to do all this stuff. But, like, that, I, I think that those expectations are, are not realistic. Because, like, if you, if you look at any roster, any team roster for any other sport, you'd be like, okay, you know, we got our five players that set the tone. That are the locker room guys. They're going to keep everyone in line. We got like two players that, you know, they like to be a little more flamboyant, a little more out there, like to entertain the crowd. We got our enforcer that's going to, you know, create the fouls, get the yellow cards, probably get sent off. We got all these personalities in the team and and no one bats an eye. Like, it just makes sense. It just makes sense. All right. We got we got the main guys, we got the enforcer, we got the the, you know, the crazy guy. We got a lot of personalities and I, I get that tennis it's just an individual sport, so you don't get to see a team necessarily. But it just wouldn't make sense for everyone to just be that blue collar. I'm gonna play correctly and you know just play by the book. It doesn't make sense. It, it makes more sense that there is those guys and there's other people that you know like to like to mess around, like to you know entertain the crowd, are there to have a good time. And I think that's Nick Curios, and we just gotta accept the fact that he's chosen that role and he. He plays that role perfectly. And there's others that have come before him that have played a similar role. And they've done a great job, too. I'm looking at Gail Monfils. You know, he likes to do he likes to do fun stuff. He likes to entertain the crowd. He likes, you know, he he likes to do the trolls. I've, I've seen, you know, him do do the finishes, some of the finishes that Nick Heroes does. So I just had to get that out there because, you know, there's a lot of people that just keep posting on every Nick Heroes video on every post, like, oh, he's an embarrassment for the sport. He's doing this. I mean, man, I think that's just an outdated way of thinking. I think, uh, I think, from what I've seen, the junk, the younger generation, the people in their twenties, they appreciate Nick Curios for, for for what he does. Obviously, sometimes you know he could get a little, he could go over the top. He could talk to the uh, to the um, umpire a little too harsh. He, you know, he could get mad. He could be a little hypocrite. There's some. He's not perfect. I'm not saying he's perfect, but I can see why my generation would be attracted to him. He's he's just a fun player. He's entertaining. That's what we want to see. And especially Nick Kyrgios has said that if tennis doesn't embrace personalities like him, the sport might die. 
And dude, honestly, as someone that, you know, talks about sports a lot of the time, watches the soccer, basketball, football religiously, tennis is fun. Tennis is great. But it, like I said, it is missing some of those personalities that really get you attached to the sport. Nick Kyrgios is one of them. So I think um, we do got to embrace him a little bit. But back to the final, Nick Kyrgios and Kokonaki's incredible run. I went on a little rant, but I had to say it. Nick Kyrgios, Kokonaki's going on an incredible run. Two singles players teaming up and winning a Grand Slam. That's incredible. That's amazing. Good for both of them. Good for Nick Kyrgios. A lot of people thought he was never going to win a Grand Slam. He still hasn't won one in singles. His ranking has really dipped. But, you know, no one could take this away from him, from him ever he could say that he was a grand slam. If he was, if he was to walk away from the sport, if he was just to, you know, pursue something else in his life, no one could take this away from him. He's an Australian. He's an Aussie, and he won the the hometown uh, major um, with his childhood friend. That's that's incredible. That's amazing. Those pictures that surfaced of them playing Kokonakis and Kyrgios playing um, when they were in their youth playing the the juniors and winning doubles, I think, at Wimbledon. And now to, you know, stay best friends, stay close, um, and win the Grand Slam in their home country. I think that's incredible. That's amazing. I think both players surf really big. Both players um, are, are good at hitting volleys and finishing uh, rallies. So I think they complement each other well. They're both, I think the, the main part for me, I think, is they're serving. I think they set up a lot of their points by how good they serve. If they don't get an ace, um, usually the returns aren't the best because their serves are so strong. So just incredible wrong by incredible run by Kyrgios and Kokonakis. I think Kyrgios already said that he's not going to play in the French Open and in the Wimbledon, at least doubles. I think he might still do singles, but they were thinking about teaming up in the U.S. Open, so that that should be fun to see them team up in the U.S. Open. And then a commentator mentioned that if you win one of the majors, you're pretty much invited to to the ATP Finals. So I think Kyrgios said, like, he kind of said, yeah, but not, like, 100%. And Kokonaki said, like, like he said, yeah. He was pretty, like, confident and, like, adamant, like, that he wanted to go. And he was kind of surprised, like, oh, my God, the the season barely started and we're already like invited to the ATP finals. I think that should be fun if they play the US Open ATP finals. But nevertheless, I just want to thank them for a very entertaining Australian Open. They made doubles make doubles fun again and they did. Doubles were, the stadium was rocking whenever they played, whether it was at Rod Laver or whether it was at Kia the Kia Arena. They were they were rocking they were rocking the chords. The Aussies fully embraced them and it was just a great environment to watch on TV. I wish I could have been there. I just watched it on TV. It was great. And yeah, Kyrgios and Kokonakis, your men's doubles Australian Open winners. Uh, just an incredible story and con- congratulations, boys. You guys deserved it. And another man that deserved his title, Rafael Nadal wins his 21st Grand Slam at the Australian Open, coming back down from 0-2 sets against Medvedev. Just a warrior, just an incredible human being, just digging deep and coming back. It was crazy. It was like 1 in the morning um, and probably 2 in the morning. And I was sleepy. I was like, damn, Nadal doesn't have it, man. That's it. Shout out to Medvedev. He's too good, man. He just took down, he just took down um, Djokovic in the U.S. Open like six months ago uh, or four months ago. You know, he stopped the twenty-first title from Djokovic. Hardcore court at the U.S. Open, hardcore court at the Australian Open. You know, it's it's not meant to be. Incredible run by Nadal to get to the final after you know the injury with the foot after catching COVID. Good run, Nadal. You know, you're still probably the favorite to get to 21 now that the next title is uh, the French Open where you're king. Good run. Great to see you back in form. But no, man, Nadal, just he's a different beast, man. He's a different beast. He's a different 
beast. He comes back in the third set. I believe he's down 2-3. It's his serve. He's down 0-40. And you're like, bro, that's it. He's going to get broken. And that's it. This is done. He's going to lose in straight sets. But the man deeps finds something deep down. Saves three match saves three break points, which essentially were match points. Like he loses any of those break points. They're match points, man. He's done. That's it. Kirill's champ I mean Medvedev champion in three sets, straight sets. That's it. He saves all three of those um break points, holds, gets a break himself, wins the third set, wins the fourth set, and then in the fifth set, you know, it's a tight contest. He has a chance to serve it out. He doesn't serve it out. And then he breaks Medvedev right back. And he has another chance to serve it out. And this time he gets it done. And man, that those emotions as an Nadal fan, I can't even I can't even imagine what he was feeling, man. Like the, the guy put it the guy put it um the best himself. Like just a couple man, months back, I didn't know. I didn't even know if I was gonna be able to play. I didn't even know if I was gonna continue to keep doing this that I love. And now I'm here, Grand Slam champion. Especially in Australia, where he had struggled in his career, where where he's had probably some of his worst, you know, not moments per se, because they were like in finals and stuff like that. It's not like he lost in the first round, but some of the his most disappointing moments where, you know, he's right there. He, he could win a title. He could win a title. Boom. Loses to Djokovic. Loses to Federer. Um, he gets injured. He has to, you know, default. He's had a lot of moments there. Australian Open's probably been the most frustrating um, major out of all four of them. Um, and for him to finally break through, win another one after what it was like the 12 13 years i believe he wanted to know nine uh to get the, to be the first man to get to 21 i was a little worried i was a little worried for nadal um i thought he was never gonna be able to lead the men in all-time grand slams like we all know federer uh from 14 from 14 from 15 on he's been leading um, he was the first to 15, he was the first to 16, he was the first to 17, first to 18, first to 19, first to 20. And with Nadal and Djokovic tying him at 20, it seemed like Djokovic was going to, you know, get 21 at the U.S. Open, get 22 at the Australian Open. Maybe Nadal gets 21 at the French. And then after that, you just think, like, it's going to be Djokovic uh, at least keeping a one or two lead against Nadal. And we all know what happened to Djokovic, and we'll see if he comes back for the French. But for Nadal to get to taste how it feels like to be at the mountaintop at least once in his career. And now the French Open is coming, so he could get to 22 before anyone else, too. And then he'll really feel like more of the mountaintop. That I, I just feel incredible for Nadal. I, I know this means the world to him. And I like how he says that he thinks is you know, his... He basically said, like, he can enjoy his tennis, and he's, his tennis life is still, you know, is still going. He's still good. His tennis career is still going. And, you know, I hope we get as much as we can of Nadal. I hope he's able to play into his 40s. I mean, I don't know how much Federer is playing right now. He is dealing with injuries, but I hope we get him. Like, he's 35. He's about to be 36. I hope we at least get him until he's 38, 39. And he might be able to do it. And from Evidev... He's definitely, he's definitely the guy right there. He's he's next up. He's next up. Um, if he would have won in three sets, I don't. I would have. I would have been sad. I would have been disappointed as an Adolf fan. But I don't think I would have been completely surprised. Like Medvedev is, is. He's that dude too, man. He's that dude. Um, he he's so lanky. His defense is incredible. He makes you do like three extra winners. You think you got a winner? You got to do three more to beat Medvedev. He's an incredible player. He's definitely above the the rest. Like he he kind of mollywhopped Tsitsipas. Um, Zverev has beat him in the ATP Finals, but in other in other times, you know, Medvedev has the advantage. I think he had beaten him like four times straight before that. So I, you know, Medvedev I think is clear of both of them, and he's clear. Of, of of anyone in the next generation i think he's definitely next up he he's gonna be the one pretty much 
trying to stop history every single time. If if it's not the big three or whatever's left of the big three, it's gonna be it's gonna be Medvedev, probably the one that is gonna be there trying to stop um, Nadal and Djokovic. And whenever Federer comes back from winning more Grand Slams, he said it. He said it himself. Like y'all rivalry's not over yet. Like y'all still here. And yep, they're still here, man. They're still here. Um, I, I, it gives me it gives me hope for Federer to come back. Because, like I said, it did feel like Djokovic was going to run away with it. It did a lot of people from watching. Sometimes I watch highlights of matches I already watched. Just to, obviously, because I'm a guy, we always watch highlights of games we watched. But also to read comments and just to get a feel of how some people are thinking. And for the most part, after every Djokovic win or when he was winning Grand Slams last year, oh, it's just a big one. It's a big one. It's a big one. It's not a big three. It's a big one. It's it's not a big three. It's a big one. It's just Djokovic. Nadal hasn't won in so long. Federer is her. It's a big one. It's a big win. Hey, Nadal just won another one. It's at least a big two, man. It's at least a big two. And I'm hoping that Federer is able to come back and make it a, a big three again for one last Swanson. It'll be fun. But congratulations to Nadal for winning his 21st Grand Slam. I know it meant the world to him with all the trials and tribulations he's gone through in the last year. And he stands alone at the mountaintop right now. Nadal was the first to 21, and he leads the men's in all-time Grand Slams. Congratulations to Rafael Nadal. And that should do it for this episode of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast, episode 84. If you made it to the end, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Um, out.